morning, on behalf of Redemption Church, our staff, our leadership, I want to say to everybody, Merry Christmas. I don't know if you got the memo, but we're very avant-garde around here. We're like, what are other churches doing? We're going to do it different. So we're going to flip the script. We're going to do a completely different calendar thing because that's the way we roll. So Merry Christmas to all of you. So no, we're not doing Christmas, but here's the thing. I didn't even think about this until this morning when I was down in my office. Um, We have not physically gathered on an Easter Sunday as a church since 2019. Yeah, you're like, whoa, that's suddenly sobered up. All right, so so we're, we might be a little rusty, so we're going to give it a shot, but I have great confidence in all of you that you're going to just nail this one, all right? So pause, loosen up, get ready, stretch it out. He is risen. Bam! There it is, baby. Give yourselves a hand for that one. You still got it. It's been a few years, but you still got it. So thank you for that. So my name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. And it is just awesome, awesome to have all of you with us this morning. Because you know what? For us as Christians, today is like the day. It's like the Grammys and the Emmys and the Super Bowl and the World Cup and like Comic-Con all rolled into one. You know, that's kind of what the Sunday is for us. You know it. That's true. And our ratings are better. All right? So... That's for us this day, right? And so it's going to be a day where we do a lot of reflection, a lot of encouragement, a lot of reminder. But I want to kind of slow the pace for just a second. I want to settle this down, and I want to give us just a little bit of space to breathe. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray here in a second. But one of our traditions here as a church is we give just kind of a moment of silence for people to to pray to themselves quietly, that kind of thing, just in silence. And then I'll go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump right into just a small little thing that God's had in my heart that hopefully will resonate with you as well. So let's take that moment of silence, and then I'll go ahead and pray after that. Jesus, it is such a joy and a privilege to be gathered with all of these people on this particular day and and just remembering what love is about, what life is about, what your good news is about, what we are here to really honor and remember. And I pray that you will encourage our souls. I pray that you will work in the margins of our lives where we face challenge and hardship and grief at times or even joy and fun and, and just family joy and all of those things. Like, uh, that you would work in all of those spaces so that we sense you, your presence, and your grace in our lives. So we thank you for this privilege, this time, and this remembrance of you. It's in your good name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So uh, yesterday, I was down at my office. For those who don't know, uh, we as a church, we, we own the old Union Bank down on 203. Nothing's cooler than a church buys a bank to turn it into a church, all right? So, so we, we purchased this bank, and, and if all goes according to plan, in the next one to two months, they'll start pushing dirt, and the building's going to come down for the most part, and we're going to eventually see a facility that does everything that we're committed to Sunday mornings, all of our midweek stuff, all of that's going to be in that space. And so because of that, we're having to start looking at moving stuff out of that facility as we get ready for the project. And so I was down in my office, and I was just kind of packing stuff up and figuring out what do I keep, what do I leave, what do I throw, that kind of dilemma. And, and I looked out my office window, which looks out into the valley, and I saw this, this greenish haze, you know, And I'm like, is that like toxic gas from the waste treatment plant just down the way? 
or is that like a cannabis plume coming from like Seattle, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, so I'm, I'm just kind of questioning, you know, and then I realized it's all the trees and they're beginning to bud. It's the leaves on the trees, and I'm loving this, right, because it's amazing. It's like that time of year where, despite the fact that just in the last seven days we've had rain, hail, sleet, and snow, winter's death grip cannot hold on forever, right? It's like spring won't be denied. It's going to burst forth. It's going to crush the old darkness of winter with the newness of the life of spring. And so I was just thinking about that, and it just reminds me of what this entire season is all about for us as Christians, what this weekend represents That it's this move from the death grip to new, fresh, abundant life. That is what we celebrate this weekend as Christians. Now, I know that some of you who are here with us today, you may say, you know what, I'm I'm not necessarily in that tribe. You know, I wouldn't call myself a Christian, consider myself a Christian. I, I would just like to say, just personally, I am so glad that you're here right? There's somebody in your world, a friend or a loved one, and you care about them enough that you said, you know what, yeah, I'll come with you to church on Sunday. That's fantastic. I just want to say it's an honor to have you with us. And maybe some of you are like, I came, and I'm not of maybe the Christian tribe, but I'm curious. I'm wondering what this is all about. We are really stoked that you are here all the way around. So for those of you who may not then be be a Christian or consider yourself a part of that particular tradition, Uh, let me share with you a little bit about what we as Christians think and believe. See, we look at this person named Jesus, and we believe he was a real historic figure, and that he was an honest, authentic man, but more than that, we believe that Jesus is also, in fact, God. We believe that, that God is, essence is one, but displays himself in three persons, Father, Son, in the Holy Spirit. And so for us, we're looking uniquely today at that middle member, the, the Son who is God. And what's so amazing for us in this is that, that Jesus himself does something that's a little unique from both the Father and the Spirit. He decides to come into the world as a person and experience life just as we experience it. So for example, when Jesus came into the world, he experienced things like love and learning, and friendship. He experienced humor and novelty, even surprise when things would happen and people would do things. He would have the sense of, wow, like that was him. In other words, he experienced life just like you. But when we read a story, we also see that he experienced loss and rejection, conflict, opposition, misrepresentation, Matter of fact, when you get to the very end of his life, you see that Jesus experienced depression and anxiety just like you. See, that's what always captures me about Jesus. It's this idea that in the portrait that we see, here is this sinless God that decides to enter into a sinful world and deal with the messiness of our lives. He introduces himself into the world that we inhabit. He embraces what that world's all about, and he comes to do this for this really important strategic motivation, which is love, right? That he has such a passionate desire to display his love in the world, he decides to come into our broken world. And he does this because he wants to show that he loves you and he loves me. 
this becomes all-encompassing for what he's about. And the capstone of his experience is really captured in that final weekend of his, his presence in this world as we understand it. Because that final weekend captures everything. Uh, the first part of that weekend is on a Friday. We, as Christians, call this Good Friday. But it's a bleak Friday. It's a dark Friday. It's a crushing Friday where God hands himself over to this coalition of humanity that abuses him, mistreats him, and eventually executes him. But he's doing that in love. And then there's Saturday, and the Bible doesn't speak about what happens on Saturday, but what we do know is that the followers of Jesus, they had all been cowards on that day where he was crucified, and so they all hide, they run, they flee, and so it's a Saturday of deep shame and regret for their failure. So those first two days, man, it's, it's rough. But that then leads into this Sunday morning before the break of dawn. There's this miraculous event, this transformation. And where there was death, there is now life. When there was grief, now there is joy. And where Jesus was in a tomb, then he is risen unto glory. Like that is the story that we're celebrating today. And when that happened, when Jesus emerged from the tomb, it wasn't just that there was life anew for Jesus. No, when Jesus rose, it like changed everything. It was seismic. It had this sense of kind of like waves rippling in all directions where it isn't just he's made new, but because he's made new, all things, he says, are being made new. When we jump to the very last book of the Bible, that's exactly what he says. He says, check it out, behold, take a look. I am literally going to make everything new. Why? Because I rose to make all things new. I rose to give life where there was death. I desired to bring flourishing where there was decay. That is his heart. That is his mission. That is what we celebrate today. And so when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, it's prismatic, it's kaleidoscopic, it's, if you like Dr. Strange, multiversed, all right? It touches a lot of things. It moves in a lot of directions, and it seeps into all the nooks and crannies of life. Now, as I shared, the way this whole narrative begins in that final weekend, well, it starts with a dark Friday. It's a Friday of death. But it's interesting that, that when we read through the Bible, we see that when Jesus goes off to his death, it's like he grabs a hold of the very essence of death in the process and says, all right, you're coming with me. That's the essence of it. I'm gonna go die, but I'm taking death with me and death is gonna go to the cross with me. And so in this ironic twist, in the death of Jesus is in fact the death of death, right? Because that's part of what his mission is to accomplish. And trust me, I didn't write this. There was a dude that wrote a book that we find in the Bible and this is what he said, all right? He says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now, I'll be open with you. I don't fully understand how the devil had the power of death. I can understand how he introduced death. I can see how he tries to populate death, how he had the power of death. I, I, I don't understand all of that. But what I do know here, and what is so important, is whatever that power was, Jesus takes a hold of it, and he absorbs it, and he changes it. 
So again, while the human condition was, again, arrayed against Jesus, they set their will against him on that Friday with hate and malice and execution. Jesus takes all of that, and he's like the ultimate alchemist, right? And he changes the cosmic chemistry of everything that is going on on that day. So everybody thinks they're killing God, they're killing the vision, they're killing the whole purposes for what he set in motion, and then Jesus takes all of that, and he just changes the chemistry, He takes hate, and he converts it into love. He takes violence and transforms it into peace. He he takes execution and then sees it converted into invitation. Rejection becomes acceptance, and ultimately, death is converted to this opportunity for eternal life. Like, God is crafty, man. He's crafty, right? He takes all of our ugly and he's able to spin it into this ultimate eternal good that we call the good news or the gospel. This is what he seeks to do. And so on the cross of Christ on that Friday, we see the ultimate expression of the love of God and the whole twist of the story where all of that nasty becomes opportunity and blessing. But see, that's not the end of the story. That Friday that is there is meant to move us to Sunday. So the story isn't just, and Jesus died for our sins. Let's pray. That's not the story. It's Jesus died for our sins. But with the headline that says, to offer life. The headline of God is life. When you look at the giant story of God, the headline is life. The mission statement of God the Father and God the Son, it's life. In fact, just for a second, I want us to think about the mission statement of God being life. Uh, This is seen in one of the most popular sections of the Bible probably ever in human history. It's the most quoted, it's the most cited, it's the one most shown at football games all across America, all right? So, in the Gospel of John, it was a man who walked with Jesus and wrote down what Jesus taught. He records this. He says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Headline, right? So so God has such an infectious love affair with the human condition as far as wanting to change it and wanting to better it and wanting to rescue it and wanting to heal it. He says, I'm going to send what most matters to me. I'm going to send my most beloved son to show them my love. That's what I'm going to do, to give them eternal life. But then it doesn't stop there. We sometimes cut it off at verse 16. It's tragic because I love verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Rather, it says to save the world through him. See, again, this is the mission statement of God. I sent my son because I love you to rescue you. Right? It's as simple as that. To give us this opportunity for this eternal life. And when Jesus came into the world, what I so appreciate about it is that he came poor. He came in underprivileged conditions. He did not come in a giant expensive tour bus, right? And on the weekends hung out at a beach house and then occasionally preached sermons on TikTok and uploaded them in his $10,000 Louis Vuittons. That's not how Jesus rolled, right? 
No, no, Jesus, again, he, he got in the turbulence of life. What he shows to us is that he desires to, to connect with us as people, to suffer alongside us as people, going so far to prove his love to us that he will die for us as a people to offer eternal life to us as a people. See, Jesus comes at the will of the Father to display that that is God's passion. But this raises a question in my mind, which is, well, is this eternal life thing that Jesus then offers and the Father is making possible through the Son, is that just some kind of reward for the afterlife and that's all it is? As though uh, if I decide to follow Jesus, the rest of this life might kind of be tough, might kind of bite a little bit, but man, when I die, boom, everything changes, awesome afterlife. Is that all that this eternal life is all about? Not much here, all kinds of cool stuff there. Well, some people I think think that, but I don't believe Jesus would be among those. When you read the life of Jesus in these different accounts of the Bible, you see often that Jesus talks about certain qualities in this life, as well as qualities after this life. So while the mission statement of the Father has this idea of duration, and it's eternal, Jesus also has, in his own mission statement, a sense of display in this life that is temporal that he wants to do something in our lives today, here, and now, not just in the afterlife, but in the current life. That was his mission statement. In fact, there's this scene again uh, in John's record of Jesus where Jesus is teaching, and, and he's kind of pulling together this illustration, and he says, um, I'm, I'm like the shepherd, right? And, and you all are, are like sheep. And when he says that, he's not trying to say you're smelly, you're dumb. You're, he's not doing that. What he's trying to say is, I care about you like a shepherd. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to lead you to spaces that are safe for you. I don't want you to be plundered. I don't want you to be pilfered. I want to care for you. And in the middle of this message that he's sharing, he then reveals literally his mission statement. There's a handful of times that Jesus shares a mission statement, and this, for me, is among one of the most important mission statements he could uh, relay to us. He says in verse 10 of John chapter 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? I'm a shepherd. There's somebody else that wants to hurt you. I want to protect you. Their agenda is to harm you. He says, but my purpose Right? Can't get any more clear than this. Hey, Jesus, what's your purpose in this world? Why did you show up? He goes, let me tell you my purpose. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some versions say abundant life. And so it's not just that he came simply to live, to love, to teach, to heal, to invest, to care, and then to die. I mean, he came to do all of those things. But in league with that, three days after his death, when all hope seems lost, when the odds just don't seem to be in the favor of this continued vision, what we see is that he rises again, proving that he erases sin, conquers death, and brings newness of life, not just for the afterlife and the eternal life, but for the present life and today's life as well. Again, the purpose statement is so clear. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Here, now, 
and today. A life where our failures and our faults and our shame is forgiven. Where our hurts and our suffering in life isn't just inconvenience and frustration, but actually can somehow build our character and fortify us for a more flourishing future. It's this abundant life where our fears can be dealt with and comforted and where our lives can be offered up to others as flourishing where so often there are locations of decay in the world that we inhabit. See, this is why Jesus speaks of abundant life being rich and satisfying because that's what he offers to us today because of what we remember today that he came to life to give life. See, for us, this is why, as a church, it's our mission statement, right? We have this mission statement. I think we have a slide for it. Our mission is helping people believe, but we want them to believe the statement that life is better with Jesus. See, this is important to me for two reasons. One is it's just John 10.10, right? That Jesus said it. That he literally said, here's the reason I showed up, to give you a rich and satisfying life. Like he said it, I didn't say it, I'm quoting it, but this is kind of the subtext of that, right? And I want us to authentically believe that that is true. I think sometimes the tragic thing is we read a passage, we go, that's so lovely, that's so great, I should stitch it on a pillow, I should get the bumper sticker. But we often don't really believe that it's true, right? And so I want to help us believe that this statement is true because Jesus said it's true. But the other reason this is important to me is because this is my own personal statement. That I've come to a place where I believe that life is better with Jesus. Now I want to be open in saying this. Maybe I should clarify. What I'm not trying to say is maybe for those in the room who are not Christians, I'm not trying to say, well, you don't have a satisfying life. I'm not trying to claim that. I, I'm, I'm sure there's people who would say, man, I, I don't follow Jesus and I feel plenty satisfied. So I can appreciate that that might be your perspective. Also, I just want to say that by saying life is better with Jesus, I'm not trying to say that life is easier with Jesus. In fact, I'll be really, really open with you. I think sometimes following Jesus doesn't make life easier. It can make life harder. Because if you take Jesus' values and vision seriously, it's about sacrifice. It's about selflessness. It's about foregoing your own rights, your own comforts, your own will for this greater cause and putting others sometimes ahead of yourself. That is not easy. Sometimes that's hard. And I certainly don't want to make it sound like saying life is better with Jesus is like voting for Pedro, all right? All your wildest dreams will come true, you know? Little nod to Napoleon Dynamite, all right? So that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that Jesus made a claim Jesus made a promise. He told us just flat out, here's why I came, to give you a rich and satisfying life. It's like he writes us a letter. I'm just letting you know life is better with me. XO, XO, Jesus, right? That's what that statement's all about. And I was thinking about this because I said there's two reasons this is kind of mission statement as a church. One is I think it's just what Jesus says and John. But the other, I said, it's my personal mission statement. And, and maybe less a mission statement and more this thing that I've come to realize. And so I want to share my story just a minute because I think sometimes stories can be helpful. They're just stories. It's just 
anecdotal in some ways. But, but here's my story. So I, I became a pastor pretty young, about 21 years old. I was a youth pastor, and then I was a lead pastor. And then just after about a decade, I was working on my master's degree. Uh, it's a degree in philosophy from a theological institution, a seminary. And I was working on the problem of suffering and evil from my degree. Right? So we call this theodicy in Christian ranks. And so that was my focus. And by the time I was finished with my thesis in a Christian institution, I can firmly say I left an atheist. Sincerely. You want to hear something that I don't like to share so much? I was a pastor who was an atheist entering into a pulpit every Sunday preaching a God I no longer believed in. That was me for a season. And, and back in those days, they didn't have like the typical way you can interact on the internet. You had to go find weird message boards on AOL and everything else. And, and so, you know, like I found like this whole enclave of other pastors in the same space. Because for me, when I was working on all that master's work, I'm just like, if God is a good and loving God, but they're suffering and evil in the world, why is this? And I just kept tinkering and working, and finally I just came to the conclusion, this doesn't fit, this doesn't work. And so I remember one night going out on my deck, I looked up at the night sky, I was looking at the stars, I love cosmology, I love cosmogony, and, and I just thought about the probability, the statistics, and I really just firmly came to the sense of peace of like, there is nothing. And can I tell you, in that moment, I felt illuminated. I felt like this weight was lifted off. I was finally being honest with myself where I was at, and I stayed in that space for a while. Tragically, sadly, embarrassingly, I kept going every Sunday, preach Jesus, preach God, preach the Bible, all of which I didn't believe in. But then there was this strange thing that began to happen. It was like this subtle gravity started to grab hold of my soul. Right? There was just this pulling, tugging thing that started to draw me back into my faith. I didn't go seek it. I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't pining away, praying, God, please, if you're there, do something. It wasn't like that. It was just this pull that began to happen. And, and can I tell you the things that didn't drive that? It wasn't like one day I, I had somebody give me this really great cogent argument for religion and science and how religion answers things that science can't. And I went, oh, that's brilliant. Now I'm signing back on the dotted line. That wasn't it. And it wasn't like I suddenly realized I could solve the problem of suffering and evil as it relates to God. It wasn't like, oh, that was the answer I was looking for in my thesis paper. It wasn't that. I didn't have some supernatural event that suddenly just like a bolt of lightning went, God is real, that's proof, I'm all in again. That's not it either. No, it was just this subtle movement of God where I realized that life without Jesus was not as good as life with Jesus. It was that simple for me, right? So, so when I entered the path anew, right, when I entered my faith life again and I set my foot to that journey with Jesus again, I had a backpack that still had doubts, still had questions, still had frustrations. It wasn't like that just all went away and now I'm back at it again. I left a certain kind of Christian. I came in a new kind of Christian in that whole process. I came to understand the disbeliever, the non-believer, the frustrated believer. Like suddenly there's this whole new sense of empathy for a world that once I didn't understand, I had been a part of that now. And so I came into this new journey still with the questions, still with the doubts, but with conviction 
that despite all of that, I just knew that life was, was better with Jesus. That my humanism didn't answer all of my deepest issues. That while my brain could be satisfied in some ways in my non-godness, my soul just couldn't. And I know some people try to say, well, you know, the rational mind is more important than, than the emotional soul. Baloney. <laughs> it's not really true. We're all emotional creatures. We all have these longings, these needs. There's this thing called our soul that speaks to us, sometimes screams at us with anxiety, with fear, with question, with whatever. And, and, and so I found that all of my humanism just couldn't undergird my deepest needs. But but in that return to life with Jesus, I just found, yes, life is better. My common fears are addressed differently. My outlook has changed. My life orientation has just been shaped in much more liberating ways than what it was before when I had departed. And so Jesus' life in my life, it did. It gave me a greater sense of purpose, gave me more of a sense of assurance and confidence, strength, focus, fortitude, hope, all of that was there. I was reminded that life is not about obeying my wishes to give me what I want, but I was reminded about how I'm supposed to give my life to the world around me because that's what Jesus did for me. And chiefly, I was reminded that there was this man who was God who came into the world and he says, I'm going to take your sin, Matt Boswell, your failure, your line crossing, your rebellions, whatever it is. He said, I'm going to take all of that on me and then I'm going to go to a cross for you. And then I'm going to rise from the dead in life. And I'm going to give you life as well. And for me, I just went, yep. Life is better with Jesus. Now in this, I again want to be clear. All of life is like this, right? That's how life works. It has highs and lows. And when you have abundant life in Jesus, you have really highs and lows sometimes, right? But there's this upward trajectory as you go. Because this life with Jesus is a journey. It's learning. It's growing. He's taking you and I from what we've been to what he is destined and designed us to be. He has to clear out the clutter of our sin and impart to us his goodness and his position and his righteousness to take us on that journey. But he takes us on the journey. So we grow. We morph. We adapt. Now, in that, we're going to do it imperfectly. Very imperfectly. I'm sometimes saddened by how we sometimes communicate ourselves as uh, knowing more, being better as Christians, you know, that we, we're somehow in on the story that you're not in on if you're not, and, and it can kind of sound like we're proud. No, we should be the most humble and, and the most just like, hey, we know less than half of everything except that I know life is better with Jesus. Like, that should be our posture. But in that posture, we grow. And in that posture, he takes us to places we didn't know possible in this life and beyond this life. Now, right now, I want to bring out our worship team because they have a song that I think captures the spirit and the essence of this so well. This idea that it's about journey and, and where we're at and where we're going. Man, there, there's still a lot of space there, but this is what eternal life and life in this life is all about. It's being connected to God in such a way through the person of Jesus that our failure and our offenses are addressed Life is imparted, and from that life grows, where the spring has sprung to new things.
I know there's different kind of groupings of people here this morning, right? There's going to be some of you that you say, you know, I'm not a Christian, and I'm still not there. I'm not convinced. I don't feel that pull, maybe, Matt, that you felt. Again, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for learning a little bit more about what matters to us as those who follow Jesus. But maybe there's others, and you go, man, I'm, I'm not in that tribe of Christian, but I, I, I'm maybe feeling that, that draw, that pull. Uh, that's just a prayer way for you to kind of take that step, to enter onto the path, right? It's this thing where you just say, hey, Jesus, I know I have gone my own way, done my own thing, and you went to the cross to deal with that reality and to give me life. Jesus, I want to follow you. Take my life. You make that your prayer and your way, and that's entering the path. That's what it's about. Now, there's others maybe here that would say, no, I I entered that path, but I have not been walking it well. I've been a little rusty on some things. I've not been attentive to some things. Again, for you, just kind of re-kickstarting things is just a prayer way as well to say, Jesus, I want to I get back in tune with you. I want that abundant life that you promised. I want to know what it's like to have that rich and satisfying life in you every day. And then there are some of us that, man, we're walking the path, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's steep. And we need that extra push. And maybe that's your prayer. Right now, I just want to give all of us space to take a moment to close our eyes and just kind of put our heads down so we can create that kind of private bubble just for ourselves. And whatever words that you feel the need to have with God, this is your space to do that, just quietly, privately to yourself. If it's, I want to start something I've never had before with you, Jesus, or I want to get back on track, or I just need some extra juice in the tank, whatever the prayer is, man, this is your time for that. Jesus, we thank you for grace and we pray that we will live as people of grace. We thank you for love and we pray that we will live as a people of love. We thank you for your incredible generosity to not simply rescue us, but to join in the challenges of humanity. You did not fall. You did not sin. You did not cross any lines, but you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to face temptation and hardship. And from that, we know we have solidarity with you. And we can come before you knowing that you're gracious because you understand. We thank you that you are patient with us and that you are good toward us. We praise you this day and thank you for what this day is all about. In your good name, amen. Just as a personal note, if, if you prayed any of those prayers and, and you wanted to share that with myself or one of our pastors or staff or whatever, we'd love to hear that story. Um, but thank you as well as uh, we've all hopefully had a day to reflect, to take a deep breath and to be reminded what this is all about. And so, yes, if you prayed any of those things, I would love to talk with you. And beyond that, I'm so grateful that we were able to gather today.